This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is the Malkovich to my Malkovich, Perry Seibert. <laughs> I will take that. I will take that every time. How is it going, Perry? Uh, things are good. Things, things are well, uh, although I still live in a personal world where tenant does not exist. <laughs> I am the same way. I I don't know what that movie is, and one day, like I said, we'll just find out I saw it. And, you know, from what I'm reading, maybe it's better that way. So. <laughs> well, today we are going to be talking about Charlie Kaufman and his latest movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. But before we do that, Perry, what have you been watching? Uh, I have been delving into the uh, – I've been re-watching. I have I delved into the Albert Brooks collection that popped up on the Criterion Channel, oh, okay, and caught up with two, the two films of the five that are there. That it's been the longest since I've seen them. Uh, I rewatched Modern Romance, and uh, that's a film that just plays the same way every time I see it. And that's that's positive. <laughs> but the surprise was a revisit of Mother, his film oh. with Debbie Reynolds, which I had not seen since I saw it in the theater, and um, is is. Uh, I really like it because it has a couple of very funny laugh out loud moments, but it is not a laugh out loud funny movie. It is it is it is a it is a 90 minute slow burn and it works so much better than I remember. I, I think I'm I don't know whether I wasn't old enough or whatever to to fully grasp what the was going on. Or maybe it just won't stick with me again in another 10 years. I can revisit it and be totally, be totally surprised again by how good it is. Um, but it's a really, it's, it is a, it is a genuinely charming film that deals with difficult parents in a way that I haven't quite seen. It's gentler than, than that topic usually gets uh, addressed without, 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 negating the severity of it it's really it's a really interesting tone that he pulls off in that movie and it was it was it was really nice to see it again oh good you actually picked the two movies by him that i have not seen um but they are on my list um my my what we're watching is uh actually real life i i watched this weekend and (laughs) i really enjoyed that i I'm, i'm really excited they added these to criterion and i sat down this weekend i had not seen real life and uh, I'm glad I did because it is a very prescient movie uh, from the year I was born. But look, it felt like watching something uh, dealing with a lot of what we have now. It's kind of his, you know, h- him responding to the PBS show An American Family. And but also, the you know, he, he decides he's going to film that, you know, quote unquote, film this real family. And uh, but it's uh, how the cameras affect them and. You can't get mm-hmm. reality, and he anticipated that forty years ahead of time. And of course, there's also the fact that he's Albert Brooks, and he's going to make everything even worse for everyone. And <laughs> uh, it is a very, very funny movie. Uh, the sight gag of people walking around with giant robot cameras on their head yes. never, never stopped uh, making me laugh. And Charles Grodin, who plays the the patriarch of the family he's recording just so much wonderful discomfort from him um you know this is this is the office type of comedy before the office was a thing and i really enjoyed it and don't discount the influence of harry shearer on that movie he's a co-writer and that's you know they they they're they're, harry shearer is not credited on any other albert brooks film and uh i'm not going to say that that's good or bad i'm just saying it's notable they are. <laughs> there is. There is a. There is a. There is a tonal change after real life. Not drastic, but enough to let you know that Harry Shearer had uh, had a lot of input on yeah. that film, at least in its in its conception and in its ideas. It's very much a Harry Shearer film. Um, and the only thing that really bothered me with it was, I think I'm so used to um, you know, the the mockumentaries we have now, where I was, you know, it, it just kind of took me out of it sometimes to realize, oh, 
this isn't totally 100% filmed that way. There are shots right. that are typical film shots, which I guess you could explain with the cameras and the wall and everything. But but that kind of took me out. But it is a very funny and very insightful movie. It's reality television predicted 40 years in advance. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the prequel to Ed TV. <laughs> Yes, yes. I will take EdTV as a fifth generation carbon copy of real life. Yes. It, it is definitely Ron Howard making real life. So. <laughs> there are actually some good performances in, in, in real life. I, or in uh, EdTV. Ed yeah. It's, I, I mean, EdTV doesn't work. EdTV had the misfortune of coming out after the Truman Show. Yes, yes. So, so yes, it's going to pale compared to that. Yes. Um, but yes, that those are all on Criterion right now. Uh, I can't wait to get into Modern Romance and um, Mother, but I also want to watch uh, Defending Your Life again. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen that one. and It's um, his best film. Oh, it's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah. <laughs> it's just masterful. So today we're going to be talking about Charlie Kaufman, uh, whose latest film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, just was released on Netflix a few weeks back. Um, this is definitely a movie I did not expect to uh, see on Netflix because it does not seem to fit the Netflix uh, watch for 17 minutes and keep going model. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the movie. But you had brought up earlier when we were texting about things. I don't think we've really, aside from a few films, discussed Charlie Kaufman that much. No, I thought it would be a... Uh... I thought it would be a topic worth worth delving into. He's one of those – if for no other reason then, there, there are a handful of guys I can think of who in my, in my movie-watching career I've thought of as the best screenwriters who hadn't yet directed. And mm-hmm. he held that title for a while. And now that he's a director, most assuredly, three films in, uh, I think it's fun to go back and, and look at what you could see develop through those scripts and – how they were changed once he started directing them. Yeah. I, you know, I think we talked briefly about being John Malkovich when we did the 1999 episode. I yes. think that was one of your picks and that was his first published screenplay. Correct. I do believe so. I think he had been in TV before that. Um, I can't remember. I, I forget the timing on that one in human nature because human nature actually might've been finished first, but came okay. out after so it's sketchy, but we'll find it's fine if we say that. Nobody's seen Human Nature, so it's fine if we say that. I, that is definitely the one of his I have not seen. I uh, saw it in the theater, Chris. <laughs> I paid money to see Human Nature for the two days it was playing somewhere. <laughs> I have seen his work on the uh, Dana Carvey show, however. Excellent, excellent, and he. I believe he was on the. Uh, I believe he was on the writing staff of Get a Life. Yep. Um, the Edge and the one that baffles me, Ned and Stacy, <laughs> which which I remember being a very CBS CBS sitcom, but I, I don't know if I ever ended up seeing that. All writers have to start somewhere, <laughs> but but yeah, being John Malkovich, I mean that's you know that's his first credit. Yeah, it looks like it was released in '99, and Human Nature was 2001. Um, yeah, we, we briefly talked about it in 1999, but that was definitely one when I saw it. I was not ready for that. Like, I <laughs> like existential, I was 20 years old. That was not in my vocabulary yet. Um, even though I'd probably had existential angst all through my teenage years. Um, I remember going because everyone had said, it is a brilliant comedy, uh, which it is, but I was not prepared for how sad it was and melancholy <laughs> uh, and abrasive, which are all things Kaufman has kept with him. And <laughs> I did not know what to make of that movie, but it's one I need to go back and visit. And I was going to do it because it's on Netflix right now. Um, but ironically, I had a seven episode TV show I had to review starring John Cusack that I had to get through. <laughs> oh, well, Sometimes professional duties come first, I suppose. 
But he but was, make time for being John Malkovich again, if, especially if you haven't seen it since then. Yeah, yeah, because oh my word, it's so good. And his voice is there, like like I can remember the feeling that movie gave me, and you could hear that voice still coming up in uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Like he's he's so he's so good about bringing out the internal life. Like like I've never seen someone so good at capturing what's going on inside our brains and and pulling that out. <laughs> Yes, he's he uh, if if there is a carry through for all of Kaufman's work, it is a weird ability to reflect the interior life uh, in film, which is usually the purview of the novel. And Mm -hmm. so that's that is that is that is the through line for all of his stuff. Yes. So I forget what you had said mostly about being John Malkovich. But was there anything else you had on that or I love Malkovich. uh, I mean, I, I. I mean, yes, Kaufman is obviously the who Kaufman births this story, and by all accounts, the film was found in in the editing. They really didn't have an ending. They they really didn't know how they wanted to end it, and it it was discovered as they went. And it, I will I will confess, it shows. Being John Malkovich is not a perfect film, but what it is is so blazingly original and great that it doesn't matter. I don't care that the end isn't perfect it's good there's, there's, there's nothing bad about it uh but i i i have become uh such a spike jones fan that i tend to i tend to ascribe as much of it to him as to kaufman uh but it does lead to what i think is is a more kaufman-esque film that they did together which is their next film together <laughs> adaptation and uh, adaptation is more Kaufman than Jones. Still, Jones is there. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I, and I and we can talk about the ability of of a of another mind to sort of I don't want to say soften. Let's just say burnish the edges that Charlie Kaufman likes mm-hmm. to play at. Yeah. Uh, again, adaptation's been a few years, but that was the one where I, I think things started clicking with me and Charlie Kaufman stuff. Uh, because I, by that point, I could kind of start seeing what he was doing. And what I remember is just the very thing. I, I, I loved the fact that he was turning that story into the very thing he was mocking the whole way through. Turning it into yes. kind of this, like, you know, on the surface, a very typical thriller. It kind of turns into kind of over-the-top thriller. But but there you know he's commenting on that as he's going through, and then also just the audacity of being asked to write a movie, a, an adaptation of a movie, and turning your movie into how impossible that is, so it becomes about you instead of an adaptation of that book, cracked me up. Well, and to find the metaphor for it being about you being unable to adapt. Mm-hmm. I mean that's why it's that's why it's so wonderful. It's not that it's meta. It's meta and actually psychologically grounded meta <laughs> which is really hard to pull off and i don't think any film of coppins uh, uh has done it any any film he's been associated with has done it as effectively as that film does i i think we we did a whole episode on eternal sunshine but when you yes. mentioned like how different directors can kind of pull back some of those rougher edges i feel like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is the one that stands out for me as another director really kind of making that a little more accessible um i know the original ending that kaufman had was uh joel and clementine going through this cycle of doing this for years and years and being old and you see them at the end of the movie just ancient and still going through this cycle uh and i think michelle gondry just found a way to still bring out a lot of the neuroses and the uh the you know, just that kind of self-doubt and self-loathing that's a lot there a lot of times in Kaufman's work. But he also oh, yeah. brings out so much whimsy in that story, too. Like, that is a fun movie to watch simply simply just sit back and watch how those sequences weave through the different memory states and everything. And I think he just – he kind of softens it enough to make it very accessible. Um, but it's still Kaufman's still there. That's still his voice coming through. It's – I mean, I, I still cannot help but think of that film as nothing more than a 21st century Annie Hall. I think that's how Gondry found the way to do that. I think he just borrows the form 
and you know and uh, allows himself to follow that template i mean annie hall is a film that doesn't follow any you know any linear path it jumps from thought to thought as that film does and as kaufman's films do and so i think he was able to fashion that into something recognizable from a genre standpoint as a romantic comedy and so i think i think it's i i i i, I agree with you but i will take the i will take the brazen originality of being John Malkovich and adaptation, I, I like those films better. Yeah, they might be less successful. I think they're better and much more interesting movies. And that's saying a lot. I think Eternal Sunshine is fabulous. <laughs> this is not to this is not to knock Eternal Sunshine. Just to say that I don't know that I want him that cleanly wrapped up and packaged. I can see that. And again, it's been years since I've seen Being John Malkovich in adaptation. Um, and even longer since I've seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which is <laughs> in the middle there, uh, and which I have literally no memory of except that I saw it and left after it was over. <laughs> but it's, um, it's, it's, it's good. I'm not going to argue that it's great or some lost masterpiece. But I mean, especially now armed with everything you know about the people involved, mm. I think you'd like it a lot. I, and I remember liking it when I saw it. It is one of those that I saw, though, and just I don't think I ever thought about it again. Um, but I remember liking it. Um, but I think Eternal Sunshine came shortly after that, and that movie just that, – that was, that was the right movie at the right time for me to kind of just bull me over. Um, so I was really – excited to see where he was going to go after that. And that's when he started directing um, in 2008. So four years after and Synecdoche, New York just like punched a hole in me. (laughs) That's the intention. It is. And it started this kind of series with me like this, this uh, habit I would have with his movies where at first glance, when I would see a movie he directed, I would have a very visceral, negative reaction to it. Like, I remember going to see Synecdoche, New York, and just leaving so bummed out. Not because I thought the movie was bad, but just because the movie bummed me out. And then it it just, like, burrowed in my head. <laughs> as And it was because I couldn't... Like, he doesn't... He doesn't give a shit whether you understand his movies. Like, he he is very happy to not answer any questions anyone has, even if he's asked the answers, um, and just leave leave these movies with their own little mysteries for people to go back and kind of pick at and unravel. And Synecdoche, New York was like, I, I became just obsessed with reading everything I could about that because I knew <laughs> it was doing something to me, and I did not know why because I couldn't understand what it was saying. But it was so rewarding to go back and just pick it apart and and start to ask questions that you're suddenly realizing, oh, this doesn't have to do necessarily. I'm not asking questions now about the movie itself or what makes sense, but this is an experience I've had and he somehow unlocked something I can't put into words. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he, he fulfills that old, it's, I think it's a Godard quote about, you know, the best film critic, the best way to criticize a film is to make a film. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. He's he's he is his films do not uh, do not benefit from a a textual reconsideration. They are <laughs> they are entities to be experienced. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, and we'll get time thinking of ending things in a minute. But one of the ways I was trying, I was trying to talk to someone about it, and I'm like, you know, if I had to describe what happens to you and explain what happens, I don't think I could, but I understand it completely in my head and I completely understand how it makes me feel and why it's making me feel that way. Yeah. Um, they, they are definitely movies that you can't always understand them, but you can feel them. Um, it's just not always a great feeling. I've, I've often thought he makes he, well, and he said this with Synecdoche, you know, when he wrote that he wanted to write a horror story, he was asked to write a horror movie and mm-hmm. his response was, I'm going to write a horror movie about all the things that really scare us. So, mm-hmm. Getting older, falling apart, being insignificant and forgotten, never realizing that great passion. Like, they are bummer thoughts to think of, but someone's got to think of them and someone's got to process those. And (laughs) as I get older... 
someone's got to be the pig with maggots. May as well be me. <laughs> like, as I get older, I find, like, Synecdoche, New York is one that I keep thinking about more and more just because it's not just so much that he captures the feeling of being afraid that you're falling apart or that you're going to be insignificant. He captures, like no one else, the feeling that time just flies in an instant and just smushes is the only word I can think of. It it, it like elongates and shortens depending on your perspective. And there is a scene where um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is eating breakfast. And I swear, I, I've watched I've watched video essays on this, like three months pass in the space of that breakfast. Like if you pay attention to the calendar and the expiration date on the milk, like in one scene, it's just this feeling of time passing and yeah. nothing happening. And it's such a brilliant moment. What he has, and it, and it's, it's why Eternal Sunshine, you know, one of the many reasons Eternal Sunshine remains, you know, so important a, a figure in his work. He's, he's got dream logic down. Mm-hmm. In a way that no direct, even Lynch doesn't have this. I mean, Lynch Lynch can do nightmare scapes, but but you know, I I feel as if I am I am experiencing a dream that I could be having. Yes, <laughs> in Kaufman's in certainly in Synecdoche and certainly in uh, in I'm thinking of ending things. I think that's less true of Anomalisa, but yes, <laughs> but, I, but absolutely, that's it, it's. He can play with time and memory in uh, and does play with them in 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 ways that most directors cannot. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking back when we talked about uh, Inception a few weeks ago and how how that's a dream movie that I just I can't buy as a dream movie because my dreams aren't like that. But then I think to Synecdoche, New York and the characters sitting in this house that is on fire and no one. There's no explanation for why the house is on fire. No one's really worried about it. And I'm like, well, that feels – I feel like I've been there. Like I've had that dream. Um, it, it, and he just understands how he, – he can make reality permeable in so many of his movies. Like yeah. I, I, I'm not really sure what's real, what isn't, if it's supposed to matter what's real and what isn't. Um, Anomalisa is – yeah, his. it actually has a very straightforward dream scene in it. And the rest Exceedingly is all – Exceedingly so, yeah in the quote-unquote real world, it, it it might be his most straightforward movie, and it's a stop-motion movie with puppets. Absolutely, which is why I've always, why I really loved it from step mm-hmm. one, because I, I, I think I've said this before talking with you, that it's, I loved, I, I think, I think Synecdoche's really great, but it was over, and I was like, I don't know what else he can do. Mm-hmm. That is everything. That's the magnum opus. You don't yeah. make that film first. You make it eighth. You build up to that. And that he found something, a smaller way to tell a fraction of that story uh, in, 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 you know, and I, it, it helped along greatly by the fact that he wrote it as a radio play first. <laughs> that it works. Anomalies is so great. And, uh, and it's, I, I, for me, Synecdoche casts a very long shadow over I'm thinking of ending things. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> we, we can get there. Um, but yeah, I had Anomalisa, as we talked about on our Best of the Decade. Uh, I had Anomalisa on my Best of the Decade. I had Synecdoche, New York on my Best of that Decade. Um, and they are two movies that feel very different to me, where Synecdoche is dealing with very big themes, and it's a very big scope in that movie. Anomalisa is just this burrowed in, takes place in a hotel, and it's not the question of what if I don't accomplish all my goals, it's why am I so sad and disconnected from everyone? Yes. And I, I think I said this in our Best of the Decade, but I remember watching that. It was at a Critics Day, and I think it was right before The Hateful Eight, which is whiplash. But uh, <laughs> but I, I, I remember sitting there as the movie ended and being like, I don't think I liked that. But then I'm driving home that night, and I – like. It would not leave. And like the feeling that movie summoned up was just so visceral that I just I couldn't I couldn't stop thinking about that one for about three weeks. Um, <laughs> so now we have I'm thinking of ending things, which before we get into this, if you're listening, if you haven't seen the movie, Perry, you brought it up. I don't think there's a way to talk about this without spoilers. You also said you don't think people can be spoiled on this, which I definitely would agree. Um 
So there are going to be spoilers in this. All, all I want to say is this. Yeah, it's in, 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 about, all, all I want to say about this is that. The, um, there is – people can say I, – I don't – I guess I disagree with something you said earlier where it's hard to understand what Kaufman's films are about. I don't think that's true. I think he makes it very plain and clear what those films are about. What they are about is things we don't want to think about and we don't want to deal with. That's what makes them hard. So when I say that I don't think this film can be spoiled, I mean, I, if you're paying attention, it's plainly obvious what's going on in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Like it's not, it's not, a, it's not a surprise twist ending. If you're paying attention and being a, a viewer, being, being a responsible watcher of the movie, um, it, it doesn't hinge on that. So yes, I will give the you know the traditional there 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 are there is full spoilerage in this movie. We are going to dissect this movie through and through. So please watch it first if that matters to you. Well, I will say I I when it comes to I'm thinking of ending things, my experience with this one was I got to the end and I had no clue what I had just seen. Um, oh, really? <laughs> like I and I'm not the only like I've talked to a few critics who who were in the same boat were like we had to Wikipedia the book, <laughs> like, like the, the synopsis of the book. And then, and this plays it kind of into what you're saying though. Like I, I, you know, I was on deadline. I had to write a review. So I'm like, I need to know what happens at the end of this. But then as soon as I knew that ending, I was like, Oh, well, I'm kind of disappointed in myself now because looking <laughs> back at the movie, I'm like, if I would have given myself time, I would have figured that out. Like it is all yeah. there on the screen. Um, I don't, I don't think it's a casual fold your laundry Netflix viewing. Um, and I'm really curious to see how many people don't make it to those, you know, 12 minutes Netflix counts as a view. <laughs> but I, he didn't make the movie for those people. The movie does everything to not let you get there because we are 22 minutes in a car with two people without yep. a break to open things up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I was at the end and I'm like, I don't know what just happened. Like I could kind of, I could, I could kind of suss out that, okay, this is about two people who are, okay. I thought I knew that much. You know, nope, it's a, you don't know it, that much, yep. you know, but, but from our perspective, when we see it at first, it's a couple who is going to visit, uh, the boyfriend's family and the girlfriend who is telling us her thoughts through the whole thing is thinking of calling it quits. And then time kind of starts flowing weird at the house and and about it was about halfway through when i did put it together like okay she's not real um she is kind of this amalgam of all these other people is what i had thought like but i i i did not know until i read the book that oh or read the about the ending to the book that oh this whole thing is in his brain yeah and that was when that was when I just kind of sat on the couch for 15 minutes and re-picked apart the whole movie. And if it was not 11 o'clock at night at that point, I would have started it again. Um, like, I, I totally get the people who bail on this and watch it and are like, what the Absolutely. hell was that? But, oh, my gosh, this is a rewarding film to pick apart. Now, that's an interesting statement. <laughs> maybe i'll get there with you by the end of this <laughs> it's i i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go that far i'm not saying it's a waste of time but i'm i'm i am at this point in the discussion short of calling it rewarding okay so we'll we'll see where this gets yeah i found it extremely rewarding to pick apart um and some of it is just like little easter eggs like the pauline kale scene which oh that's yeah. when i started to figure out oh okay something Something's going on. She is this projection um, because there is that great scene where Jesse Buckley just launches into the review of a woman under the influence in the Pauline Kale voice. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it took me by surprise when I'm like, oh, now I'm flashing back to that book he had on his nightstand, which is the Pauline Kale book of reviews. I'm like, OK, so I, I'm starting to figure out what's going on. Um, but I also think there there's so much subtext going on with the Jesse Plemons character. Just the amount of self-loathing in that character that even 
the woman he creates to go to his house and meet his family in this fictional scenario is thinking about breaking up with him. Yes. And reveals all his flaws and insecurities. I'm like, even in his dreams, in you know, I don't want to use that word literally, but uh, you know, even in his thoughts, this character is so plagued by self-loathing and insecurity. Yes. And I found that like, I, I found that very sad, but it also felt like if you talk about Kaufman as this horror director, and this is framed like a horror movie at many times, this feels like a, you know, one a horror movie. Absolutely. Um, it, it is this fear, like that fear that you will never, not only will you never find love, no, you won't even find connection or your purpose, or, you know, whatever fulfillment you're looking for, but that you might have passed it all by and you're going to spend the rest of your life picking that moment apart. Like, that, that to me, that is terrifying. And <laughs> it, it just, it haunts me almost as strongly as the depression in Anomalisa. I don't think this movie's as good as that. I don't think this would be on my best of the decade when we get there, but we'll see. Maybe there's no more movies this decade. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> but but it really, like, I found that very effective that Kaufman can trap into, tap into just how much of a trap your mind is, that you are just, you could just be stuck there thinking over every scenario and every every way things could have been different and it could have informed your life differently. Um, <laughs> the way that Jesse Buckley's character, she shifts as the situation changes uh, in his mind. Like when his parents are ailing, she is suddenly a uh, gerontologist and it just this character he's making up to say, if it had been different, what would have been there at that point? Uh, and in the end, he's just this guy watching Robert Zemeckis movies. <laughs> Or, hey, don't take anything literally. A film that he remembers as being directed by Robert Zemeckis. I'm willing to be – I'm willing to I'm willing to go with the fact that nothing that we see in this film ever actually happened. I am fine with that. Uh, he, Kaufman, Kaufman can brew up a world where that's okay for me. I can leave reality altogether and accept that that's, that's fine with when he's in charge. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I, I just – I really – like. Like I said earlier, this is a movie I don't even know that I can explain it, but I know I felt it. Well, I think he gives it to you. Like I said, I I don't think Kaufman is – I mean he's he's difficult because the subject matter is difficult. But I don't think he's I, – I, I don't believe for a second that he's willfully obtuse about the intentions, uh, certainly not the emotions as we've made really, really clear – I mean, he's too good a writer not to have a structure. He's not going to make something that doesn't make some internal logic for itself, right? And so, you know, you're at 20 minutes into this movie, you're aware that, okay, well, we're not following a three act structure of any kind. Mm -hmm. We've had enough moments of repetition and weird cuts away from this that there's something else going on. Uh, and then it's pretty much almost exactly the halfway point of the movie. It's just a little past the halfway point where one of the one of the uh, uh, one of uh, Jesse Buckley's voiceovers has that quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson about nothing is more rare in any man than an act of his own. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, that's what we're doing. That's what this is about. That's why all the pop culture references. And then they pile up after that. I mean, if you didn't, it's yeah. after that point that they have the conversation about the book Ice and they have the conversation about Pauline Kael's review of uh, woman, uh, 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 woman Under the Influence. And we have the singing of the ice cream jingle. And we have, you know, we, and if you're, if you're, you know, if, if you're a, if you're a sharp eyed enough viewer to see what's sitting on top of the uh, Pauline Kael collection, the end of the film makes a whole lot more sense. Uh, that and, is the Beautiful Mind, right? Yes, 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 yes. The Beautiful Mind DVD, which is, and so you know, so everything else around that then to me is him playing. He's told me what he wants to do, and so it's why I was less, uh, I, I, you know. It, I don't want to say that it's the it's the least coffin film, but what I want to say is it's not the entry point. 
for Kaufman. No, <laughs> this is no. this is this is if you have decided you really like Kaufman, you go down this lane. Yes, but don't start here. <laughs> it will not reward you if you start here. <laughs> you you need to go back and make sure you understand what's what he's doing, and then this will make. Again, it made sense to me. I'm not saying I understood every reference. I'm not saying, oh, I can't tell you where it all connects. But I think he makes it pretty plain. Right from it's within five. It's in with what? It's within five. Certainly ten minutes that we don't really know what her name is. (laughs) Yeah. There's the confusion over what her name is, and so at that point you're like, well, okay, this is not. This is not real. We're dealing with a fractured personality, which you should know you're dealing with if you know anything about Kaufman. Uh, and it's, it, and it, it is the fact that this feels so long compared to Synecdoche. It <laughs> is a probably longer. It's probably at a longer runtime, but this feels interminable <laughs> at different points. And not that I want to turn it off and go away. It's just that, okay, how, how long do you want to gild this lily? How many hats on a hat do you need? Well, and that's the Netflix thing where they will let you do whatever you want. Uh, and that might be where he needs some collaborators to sometimes rein him in a bit. The The section at the home seems to go on forever. Oh, yeah. Um, it, and I liked watching Tony Collette and uh, Dave Thulis. David Thulis. Yeah, they, they, are, they are fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, it is – that that portion is where I was starting to get a little itchy, um, mainly because I didn't like I I knew something was off. Like you said, five minutes in, you do understand there's something off, and if you've watched a Charlie Kaufman movie, you're expecting that. But I, I it was more the literal. I have no idea what the state of reality was at the end of the movie, um, <laughs> because I'll, I'll totally admit the ballet through me i have never seen oklahoma so uh it 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 totally threw me and that was one where i had to go do some digging to like why the hell is there a ballet and then when i read about oklahoma i'm like oh okay okay that that makes sense um yeah i think one of my reactions was that i was really afraid this was going to be his first kind of mainstream like narrative type film <laughs> um, because it had been and, and you you know you don't judge a film on the marketing or review it on the marketing but everything i had seen i'm thinking did he just make a straight horror movie because this is what it's looking like uh and no he did not but i pity the person who sits down and says you know we just want a scary movie tonight we're gonna put on i'm thinking of ending things <laughs> and uh not being aware of what they're getting into um and it, I should have picked up, though, at the very – I think it's one of the first lines. or It's it's on that car ride up where Jesse Buckley says something about a thought could be realer than reality. <laughs> yes. Which, as soon as I figured out what had happened, that line came back. I'm like, damn it. And, uh, <laughs> like, like, it is there. Um, it is there. It's just it was presented – like, there was no – he does not hold your hand at the ending. He does not give the sixth sense. Let's replay no. everything. And I'm glad he doesn't. Um, it, it takes work to kind of go back through and do that. But I find that I found that rewarding because I didn't quite get what was going on at first. And for me, it was okay. Well, you've already underscored. I, how many times are you going to un- are you going to underline this? I mean, he's got to do the speech from a beautiful mind mm-hmm. and to do the song from Oklahoma and where, you know, where I think, I think the stakes are so much greater in Synecdoche and the ending of Synecdoche is so much more harrowing <laughs> that you're, I just think that film pays off on all of the grand themes. And I think this is, I mean, I, and I sound like I don't like it. I like the film. I'm really glad he made it. It is an auteurist film. I am not saying it is entertaining. I'm not saying it works. I this is not the this is not what we're talking about mm-hmm. with this movie. It is a director's expression and it's a good one. If you are interested in that director, this is a film worth watching absolutely because because it came from Charlie Kaufman <laughs> and and he has laid out his directorial vision clearly enough in the films that he's written 
as well as the ones he's directed, as we've been talking about this whole time. And so I just I, I can see how people there, there will be a small, small subset of people who adore this movie. They will flock to it. It's a film born to birth a cult. I mean, yes. <laughs> and 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 they will and and that makes total sense to me. And I'm glad that they will exist as well. I just, as I said, this is not entry point Kaufman. <laughs> no, no, and I think no. I would and I would agree. I think Synecdoche, New York, is it, it's kind of the big question movie. These those are the he's asking giant questions about existence and purpose and tapping into very common fears that we all have and telling it on this just very epic kind of landscape. And this isn't that. This is similar questions, and he's playing with reality in similar ways, but it's not quite synecdoche. And it's also, you know, he's he's kind of done this idea of what if you can't escape your mindset with Anomalisa? Um, that that has very similar themes too. He definitely has yeah. tropes and themes he likes to revisit. Um, I feel like this, but this, this feels like a piece to me. It feels, I, I wouldn't put it quite up there with them, but I'd also say I, I, I think they're all, they all affect me about the same amount, uh, whether they're all as good. They all had that same effect where I just, I'm unsettled because it, he's connecting on thoughts that I like to assume no one else has. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like there is, like you said, he is asking these questions, asking us to think about things we don't like to think about. And it's one of those things. Like, I don't want to know someone else's can be this insecure. I thought that was my bag. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I watch movies often to get away from that. Um, and he doesn't offer the answer of, you know, one day you'll find love and one day you'll pull yourself up by your boots. He he leaves people with these questions of, yeah, what if you're stuck there? Yeah. Which isn't a great – I mean, that's the horror of it all. It it He doesn't do touchy-feely, and I'm glad he doesn't. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed this. Uh, but it is – I, 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 like I said, I really am worried about that person who sits down and says, "Oh yeah, I like Jesse Plemons. Uh, we'll, we'll check this one out." Or Tony Collette. Oh, I liked Hereditary. She looks kind of in the same vein as that. And uh, this is so much know. better than Hereditary, <laughs> and accomplishes the same level of for all the people who loved Hereditary because they thought it was some deep family drama. This has got that mm-hmm. beat by a ton. Yeah, um, I loved uh, Jesse Buckley in this. I thought she was fantastic. See, I have a hard time with this because this is this is the Brad Pitt problem for me in Tree of Life. If you don't if you aren't playing conventional scenes ever, I don't know how to judge this. Yes, you are. You are perfectly fine in this. I don't understand how it couldn't have been anybody. I, you know, I, it's fine. I, I just don't think it, it doesn't it, – it, it, a, a performance in a movie like this just can't stand out for me. I really liked her. I want to see her in other things. I am not saying she is bad. I'm not saying she's a problem. I'm saying it is such a director's film that I don't think the actors matter. Perhaps. I think she handles a lot of the shifts she has to make. Like she has to sometimes very subtly shift from kind of bubbly and excited to – kind of mean-spirited in some some ways. And I just think she makes that shift well. Um, I also just really like Jesse Plemons whenever he shows up in anything, too. So I was very happy to have a whole movie with him, which he reminded me so much in some sequences of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, that's purposeful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's purposeful. Um, but yeah, I've, just, I've, yeah, I've loved him since I uh, caught him on Breaking Bad. And uh, he always just kind of – I always feel a little off-kilter when he's in a movie. I I, uh, I I very much like him. I don't like him as much as some other people seem to. I keep waiting for the part where I'm like, okay, he's still stuck in that weird, uncanny love child of Matt Damon and Philip Seymour Hoffman thing for me. Like he's not, <laughs> he hasn't quite distinguished himself for me. Not, and I mean, I I. And, because I am comparing him to two of the greatest actors of the last 30 years we've had in film. Please understand the level of praise I am comparing him to. He's a very good actor. He's never struck a false moment for me. I, I like him. I'm just waiting for something that 
really lets him stand out from for me in a way and like i said this he's he's just too close to hoffman in this and there are times i was going oh i wish this was philip seymour hoffman well i think that about (laughs) almost every movie i watch but uh, again totally fair um i i've always liked uh i've liked jesse plemons back when uh from breaking bad that was where to me he stood out just there was you were a Breaking Bad watcher, correct? Or did you bail on I that? I came to or? it late. Okay. I watched it all, but I, I watched it all like two years ago. There was some sort of some sort of balance he found between kind of innocent and terrifying that he like this mundane evil that he had in that show that was just uh, it just riveted me. Um, and then I will also just bump up points higher for every scene he had in game night, but yes, we're, uh, yes, I, I understand the organization we are both a part of, uh, gave him an award for that work. <laughs> okay. I don't think I'm, I would have gone that far. But, I'm uh... <laughs> still like, no, no, come on. No, he's good. That's not to knock the performance in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I forget who but... the nominees were that year, but I can guarantee they were probably all. I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're, 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 you guys are all pushing real hard for this, aren't you? (laughs) You guys, you guys want this to happen. Okay. (laughs) Um, I also thought visually this was, this was a beautiful movie to look at. Just those scenes in the snow just were so haunting. Oh, Um, that sequence where they go to the ice cream stand in the middle of nowhere. I, it just was such a weird location, but like, it just felt like it was, it was just off it purposefully off. And I just loved watching that. And that was when I was getting my most, like something really is wrong here. <laughs> kind of vibes from that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed looking at those scenes in the snow, just how, yeah, just the black void beyond everything. Yeah. Lucas Zoll, who's a fantastic cinematographer. He shot uh, cold war. Okay. A few years ago. Uh, he, I, I, this is a film that looks nothing like that film, and they are both gorgeously photographed films. Absolutely, if for no other reason than saying this is, uh, this is absolutely Kaufman's. Well, I was going to say it's his most strikingly visual film, but I actually think that you could make the case that Anna Melissa actually accomplishes that. But as far as as we talked about earlier, creating an absolute, <laughs> as weird as this adjective sounds put in front of that word a very realistic dreamscape mm-hmm. it, this is this is unmatched in that yeah. capacity it it does it 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 captures that ever shifting thing that happens certainly in my dream world i don't know if that's singular to me where you know just suddenly something's different and that's no one comments on it and it's totally fine and we just accept it and we keep going uh and that's that is that that's very much an achievement. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful movie to look at. Um, I don't know that I have more to say on this one. It, it's kind of you have to see it. Uh, you, you, if you want to, it, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to. I, I'm not saying that as in a run out and go see it, but I feel like it is a movie that is. When I was writing my review, I found this. It was just hard, hard just to not say. You kind of got to see it to get what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. It's a film that defies a, a written explanation, as we talked about. It's not about that. Yeah, it's about what you're experiencing internally. And and I want to be real clear when I say that I don't necessarily mean emotionally, because I am I am less moved by his films than you are. I, I think they are. I, I think they are interesting and very truthful evocations of uh, uh, of an artistic mindset and an internal mindset. But I, I don't. I, I am not moved by them. <laughs> I don't. I think they are. I think they are brilliant. I, I think they're great. I think they're worth seeing. And that's not to say I find them cold. I just uh, – I don't know that he's ever brought me around where I feel like I share his vision of the world. How's that for a, for a delineation? I mean that probably makes you a much happier person. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as Yeah, as someone who was in his 20s very self-loathing and very, uh, very prone to uh, darkness, uh, I, I, it, it's, it's kind of like – Feeling something resonate when you you're like oh I I know where he's coming from I'm not there anymore but 
I, I get where he's coming from, and I don't know anything about Charlie Kaufman's personal life either. I, I he might be a Sunday school teacher, and uh, you know, to, with five kids at home, I have no clue. Um, have you read his book, Ant Kind? I have not. I would. I I gladly would, but I have not. Okay, neither have I. I'm I'm very curious about it, but I also know it's uh, like 800 pages long, and I'm thinking of 800 pages of I'm thinking of ending things. Just, <laughs> wow, wow, that is not a beach read. He, but, you know, he learned on TV. He can write gags. Mm-hmm. It, it's why so many of the movies do work. And this yeah, they're one, very funny. There's, there is a, there is a, there are not, there aren't none, but there is a dearth of gags through this movie. Like there are no, there are no easy jokes in this movie and there are often easy jokes in his work. And by easy, I just mean obvious. You're supposed to laugh at this now. And you do because they are beautifully well constructed and executed. Yeah. I I mean, I think Anomalisa has a lot of humor in it. Yes. Um, Just, just the simple, even the simple joke of having the same voice for almost everyone just made me laugh. The, the first 20 minutes of the movie and there's a lot of just very stark deadpan humor in um synecdoche absolutely yeah i guess that's the thing this is the first film where you know there is nothing inherently funny in the situation he's not trying to get laughs out of what's of of the situation that his characters are in this time out and maybe that's why it seems uh both more serious and and darker well, and I think that that plays into what you were saying. Like, this is not an entry point. You kind of got to know yeah. what to expect because a lot of that humor goes or a little of that humor goes a long way when you're watching one of his movies that can ask some of these uncomfortable questions. And this doesn't leaven that with that. Nope. Um, I think the the one time I laughed was when the movie was directed by Robert Zemeckis. That's that. Yes, that's it. And again, a perfectly executed, well-conceived mm-hmm. gag. <laughs> and you're right. In fact, I would give points to that entire sequence. The whole last scene in the movie within the movie is really funny mm-hmm. <laughs> in in the way that it's a, a television gag writer would make something very funny. Yes. Do you have anything else to say about I'm thinking of ending things? No, I think I think we've said I think we've said enough. And I think we've. uh I, I hope I hope this conversation encourages people to check it out if they were at all interested. And again, honestly, I don't feel anything we've told you can spoil your experience of this movie. Mm-hmm. I would agree, and I'm thinking of ending this episode. <laughs> Perry, <laughs> Perry, where can people find you? You can hear me every Friday morning on the Lucy Ann Lance Show on 1290 AM in Ann Arbor talking about movies old and new. Uh, I was fortunate enough to do another episode of Cathode Ray Mission. Uh, that episode is up now. It was all about a deep dive into the filmography of the Coen brothers. Had a great mm. time doing that. Uh, and, you know, it, it, when the movie theaters start to open up again, you'll find me third row center as always. Uh, you can find me at BHM Pop Culture. I have a lot of reviews coming up in the next few weeks. You can listen to the other podcast I do, Cross Culture Critic, which is kind of a faith, pop culture, whatever show uh, that I do. But to make it very easy for all of you, I do have a uh, newsletter that I put out on Fridays. You can subscribe to it at criticisms.substack.com. I'll put the link in the show notes but that's the easiest way to find my stuff and maybe eventually i'll also be back in a movie theater one day um (laughs) when i'm you know not trapped in the hellscape that is uh livonia (laughs) we will see you all back in two weeks